Welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Thank you for listening and being part of the Relatable community. In this episode, I talk with my good friend, Kelly Ricker, Executive VP, Events and Learning, Computing Technology at CompTIA. As you will hear in this episode, Kelly was instrumental in providing me my uh, one of the first opportunities when I started my own business, to which I'm so very grateful. Throughout our conversation, we learned the path of Kelly's career trajectory, as well as how she was able to have balance between a social life and academics. And what I really love about this episode is that Kelly is super relatable. She gives practical advice about being an introvert in an extroverted career and the importance of getting internships early and how saying yes, even when you're scared, is essential to career and life success. Enjoy this episode. And we'll start with, first I'm going to embarrass you just by um, saying thank you because um, in terms of my little entrepreneurial project <laughs> and starting out, like you have helped me tremendously and in a very real and cool why, way by uh, allowing me and affording me the opportunity to work with you and CompTIA in Yay. the soft skill space. So I really appreciate that and that support. It's been a hugely um, rewarding and fun engagement. So I want to thank you for that. Yeah, happy and, to do it. And also thank you for the support. But And we've known each other a really long time. So the, the cool thing about the podcast is I get to interview a lot of my friends because I have great, cool friends that do really neat things. <laughs> and you're one of those people. <laughs> so I've been like tapping the network along the way. and um, Of course. Yeah. And so I'm really excited to talk with you. And maybe uh, you could start with just talking a little bit about your current role and what you do today and, and maybe like what a day in the life is like for you. Cause I know it's got a lot of different things going on. Yeah. I mean, anymore, I'm just wearing a lot of different hats and it's, you know, you said it's not a straight line and mine is, has not been a straight line either right now. I mean, I, I cut my teeth in the event space, um, trade shows specifically, and have worked for trade associations for over 20 years at this point, but you know, what has happened kind of along the way is that different things start falling on my plate or I raise my hand and volunteer. So right now I, I kind of have a hodgepodge of activities. So certainly the events team, which is really considered more of a shared service to the various business units. Um, but with that now comes a few other shared services, our creative team, which is the typical graphics, um, you know, collateral development people the video, our new studio that you will hopefully see very soon if we can get back into the building anytime. <laughs> um, and then on the business side, I'm overseeing all of our products and our products are have traditionally been certifications for IT professionals. And we have a portfolio, I think we've got 13, maybe 14 right now in our portfolio. And then about two to three years ago, we started developing the preparation materials to sit for those certifications. And we made some acquisitions um, and have a really great team that is developing all the learning material that helps both instructors teach a course or self-study people. So 
um, there's a whole, you know, uh, new industry that I'm playing in now that is so exciting and so fun to be, you know, approaching fast approaching 50 and have a relatively new um, set of responsibilities is not something that I foresaw. Um, and, and I feel very fortunate to do that. And with that comes to a lot of marketing, like product marketing and our consumer marketing. So I've kind of got my fingers in a lot of different elements of the, the organization. And it, it makes my day to day pretty interesting because I, you know, get to talk about a number of different things and t- tons of different people. And um, yeah, no day is typical. I will say what has been kind of interesting too to me over time is that, you know, the evolution from being one who does stuff to one who talks to others about them doing stuff. And, you know, there's not a whole lot that I have to do anymore other than just be available, provide advice and, and some of the strategy and, and direction behind decisions. Right. You know, I have a really good team and, and, you know, for the most part, as long as I stay out of their way, life is pretty good. You know, I'm available <laughs> to them, but I'm not hovering in any way. When you, um, I think for people that maybe aren't as familiar, when you talk about the event space, and maybe you could just talk a little bit about like the kind of marquee event that your organization put, I think the magnitude of that and what that really means can get lost if you're not familiar. So can you just talk a little bit about, and some of the keynotes that you've had, because you've had some really cool (laughs) experiences there. So I think people might be interested in that or, or, you know, when they're thinking about different opportunities or career paths. Right. So when I started off, I was actually doing just a a relatively small trade show. I'm trying to remember. I think it was it was under 10,000 people. It's hard to remember that far back. Um, And I'd been at that job for a couple of years and kind of reached where I was going to reach. You know, my boss wasn't going to leave. And so there wasn't any upward mobility. And so it was a good lesson in when you want to move up and you have ambition. Sometimes you have to move out and you have to leave a comfortable spot to do that. So it was back in the days of the Washington Post jobs, you know, actually looking through the newspaper on jobs. <laughs> circling all the jobs. Job. Yeah, circling. <laughs> I circled all these jobs instead of a bunch of resumes. And I got a call back from what was then the Consumer Electronics Association is now Consumer Technology Association. And they run the Consumer Electronics Show, CES, in mm-hmm. Vegas, which um, while I was there, it reached about um, – just under 2 million net square feet of space. So that means when net square feet means people are paying for that square footage. It doesn't, the gross square footage would also include registration spaces, conference rooms, and things that we, you know, supplied as the show management. Um, And there were uh, about 140,000 international attendees then. They're much higher now. I've been gone for 10 or 11 years and, and the show has just continued to grow. Um, but I learned so much there, um, starting out as a, you know, coordinator, just starting to put some conferences together on a smaller scale. And then everybody works, you know, everybody on staff does some role with CES because it makes up like 90% of their revenue, maybe Mm -hmm. even more. Um, but what I eventually grew into was running all of the conference sessions for CES, which was over a hundred sessions and, uh, tons of speakers, but then also the the keynote stage. And while I was there, it was named um, a CEO top podium by um, I think it was USA Today and a, a couple other just pretty notable um, organizations called it out as one of the best stages 
a CEO could could speak on. So, you know, it was Bill Gates every year, the likes of Michael Dell, um, Howard Stringer, who was running Sony at the time, Bob Iger of Disney. Um, and then with that, we really encouraged them to bring star power. And so when um, it became less about devices and or, or not as much about devices and more about the content on those devices, and we started getting the Disney studios and people like that, you know, they would bring in some pretty fun folks. So, you know, I've uh, had, you know, a chance to, to meet very briefly, albeit, but uh, Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, Robert Redford, um, you know, just some pretty, yeah. pretty cool experiences. So it was a really fun place to be for a really long time. But again, it was, you know, one of those situations where um, I, I was there 12 years and it, you know, it just got to a point where I, I wasn't going to move beyond where I was. And I'd kind of done everything there was to do within that space. Yeah. Um, and then it was just, you know, looking for a change. And at the time, you know, the kids were four and seven and it was, it was a 24 seven job and a very intense culture. Right. And, you know, I've had the good fortune of working in some very culturally diverse corporate culturally diverse uh, situations. And with each one, I've learned a little bit more and learned that that's a really important thing to me. You mm-hmm. know, the, the ability to have challenging work while also having high quality of life, mm-hmm. you know, apart from work. Right. Um, and, and that had kind of reached a point where I was like, okay, I need a little more balance and I need to look for something else. And then I wound up where I am now, which events are still a really fun component of it, but it's just not on the same right. star power. As, Although as we just, I uh, just got to see Shaq at your last event, That's right. which was yeah. phenomenal. That was like, yeah, that was really fun. It wasn't he so great. Like he I was, didn't expect him to be so funny. He was amazing. And hit the dynamic between him and your CEO was just yeah. like, it was like magic in a bottle. I thought like just the, yeah. the way they played off each other was great. It was uh, really fun. So I would like to ask you, because I think this is, I remember when you were pursuing another opportunity and you decided to leave the DC area and, and you know, we ran in a pretty tight circle of friends and for you to up and move was really like scary, right? And kind of shocking. Like people are like, why, why would you leave here? Why, why, you know, you're established and you both have great jobs and, you know, why would you uproot and move far away when um, you pretty much have everything you need right here. And so, and I remember having some good conversations with you back then just about your interest in doing that and why you did it. So maybe you could talk a little bit about risk-taking and what really drove you to make that decision. And I think you would say you don't for a second regret that decision, like it's ended up being a really fantastic situation opportunity for you. But maybe just talk through that change and to your point about like you had sort of decided like these things are important important to me. I'm not going to get them here anymore. How did you navigate that and pursue a different option? So when you reach at that point, you know, I've been working 15 years at least, mm-hmm. um, maybe even longer. Jobs become harder to, to come by, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're, yeah. you have qualifications that require <laughs> a certain position and, and salary requirements. So I've been looking, I think I started looking after I got back from CES in January. So definitely by, by February of 2008. 
and um, you know, got a ton of calls, but nothing was quite the right fit. You know, either it was going to be what I felt like was a step backwards or the salary wasn't there or, you know, living in DC, I was like, I don't want to make that commute to wherever it was, you know, if it was something up in Maryland. So yeah, just, you know, all the different, you become more selective, Mm -hmm. I think, as you progress along your career and nothing was hitting the mark in, in the DC area. Cause I didn't have intention to, to move the family, um, but started a nationwide search. And it happens that I was getting a call for um, a, an association here in Chicago and flew out and interviewed. And um, it was approaching uh, another call back. And I happened to talk to a former colleague, Todd, who is now my boss, mm-hmm. and told him, hey, you're, I think you're going to get a call for a reference check. This is getting down to the wire and, you know, started telling him about the position and he had taken a job here in Chicago. He was like, if you're willing to relocate, why aren't you just coming to work for me? And then it became a, Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about what that is, what that opportunity is. And, and the reason I ultimately ditched the other idea and went with uh, CompTIA and Todd is, you know, Todd's a great guy. He's one of the smartest people I've ever known. Um, And he's big on autonomy and I knew what kind of culture he was coming from because he had been at CEA with me. And, you know, all of those things were good mm-hmm. and positive. Right. And I wouldn't have to prove myself again. You know, I didn't work uh. for him at CEA, but I, he knew me very well and I knew him. And so it wasn't going to be um, starting from scratch all over. And, and it just made a whole lot of sense. And I've told you too, you know, it's like the, the job fell into place. Chris, my husband, you know, talked to his firm and they said, Oh yeah, you can just relocate to that office, like keep your job and just work out of a different office. And then we listed our house and it sold within 24 hours. So it was like the whole universe was saying, yeah, do this, this is the move to make. And it was super hard, you know, obviously to leave friends and um, Chris's family is there and it was really tough on them, you know, so I was, persona non grata within the family for a while, you know, they were not happy that, that I was the the driver behind this, but, um, it has been such a good move for our family, both professionally. And then, um, you know, there's nothing like raising kids in the Midwest. You know, we live in this Pollyanna little town where the kids can ride their bikes to get ice creams and hot dogs. And there's, you know, enough community and, you know, kind of, it takes a village vibe around here that, um, you know, my redheaded children don't get away with anything because they can be <laughs> identified very quickly by the color of their hair and traced back to me within just a couple questions. So it's been a really safe, yeah. great place for them to grow up. That's awesome. Let yeah. me ask you a question. If we dial back a little bit in terms of um, your, I'd like to call it kind of the middle school, high school period of life. And um, one of the things that I find fascinating is, as I've had these conversations and interviewed people, that that period of time seems to be remarkable in one way or another, <laughs> whether it's through your know, challenges or or overcoming certain um, social anxieties or academic anxieties. And then, you know, during that time, people being really shaped by how they pursue either college or what path they go on just through those experiences. So I'm curious for you, 
when you think back to that, and if there's someone that's listening that's kind of in that space right now, what were some of your unique experiences, challenges, or successes that you think shape who you are today or how you move forward? Um, well, the biggest thing that comes to mind is how frequently I moved as a mm-hmm. child. You know, my dad was a fighter pilot and we, we moved every two, three years if we were lucky. Yeah. So, you know, middle school, I left, you know, we were able to finish out eighth grade and then move that summer. So that was a pretty critical time because I was loving life and, you know, had a great group of friends and middle school was great. And then I'm ripped out of that environment and have to start all over again. Um, And my freshman year was really tough. It was not a fun year. And I have a niece who's going through the exact same thing. She's, Mm. you know, um, actually she's in eighth grade, but having a tough eighth grade year as she gets into high school, because all these, you know, everybody's established their friends and you're kind of this interloper and trying to figure out where are my people and um, what activities are, are open and, Thankfully, you know, when we were growing up, things were not quite as competitive as they are now. I feel like, gosh, to be a kid now trying to break into new activities in a new place, you have to be practically a professional athlete or <laughs> professional, you know, actress to get a yeah. spot in the play, you know. Yeah. And I don't feel like it was that tough for me, but I do remember it was it was a tough year just trying to find my way and 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 friends. So, you know, I I think that left me with a a few things as an adult, you know, it's, you're always going to get through it. It, it stinks in the moment, but you will make it past that. So these moments of transition or discomfort, um, or, or where things just aren't clicking yet, they are temporary and that you will get through it. Um, so resilience, you know, is, is a big thing. I think I learned from that and, you know, just, I've always been a shy person as well. And, you know, there are those moments where you just have to, you know, suck it up buttercup and get through it and, and, you know, push your way past again, that discomfort and things will click eventually. Um, I think the fighting through it, you know, at any age, but we've, we have talked to a few young adults on here also, and there is, a consistency where people you're afraid, right? There's for whatever reason, there's things that aren't inherent to you personally, or that something seems beyond your reach. And so I don't want to try for that because then I'm going to look stupid if I, I fail and I can't do it or whatever right. that is. And I think some of the greatest lessons come from pushing yourself through that, even if the outcome isn't what you want it to be, like it may not end up all lollipops and roses, but that feeling of being afraid or like, I know this is going to be hard, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. I feel like good things come from that. It may not be immediate. It may be like a delayed (laughs) effect, right? but it does build that resilience factor, I believe. It does. And whatever that, you know, I'm going to look stupid or that that fear factor is, again, that's temporary. Yeah. Yeah, Again, it's, it's painful while you're, while you're living it, but it, it will be in your past and then you learn from it and, you know, obviously grow. And I think that's, really true when I think back on my career as well. You know, I think I've learned the most in the times when I've been thrown into the deep end yeah. with, you know, minimal support because it's, you know, the fear factor for me is that, oh my gosh, I am going to screw this up and look bad and, you know, oh, you know, what do I need to do to avoid that to, you know, to get myself to a better outcome. And you know, what's interesting. You just made me think of a, 
a story that um, we were going through a big acquisition. It was huge uh, when I was at one of my the firms I worked at, and there was so much work to do, and there was this massive project that nobody knew what to do with, and it was super complicated. And they were like, "Well, Teresa will just lead this and do it." And uh, <laughs> you take it. <laughs> and I mean, it was like fraught with all sorts of complexities, including sort of illegal <laughs> component. All just all these things of like from a business perspective, as we were acquiring them, like what would we do? What would we do? And in particular, oddly, in the benefit space, there was a lot of uncertainty and complexity. And I remember being given this project and the person that was the lead over the whole thing to what you said earlier, where you said you give people a lot of room, this person was like, go do it. And I was terrified and I kept questioning my abilities. And I really wanted to go back to this person and say, you're insane. Like someone else needs to do this. Like I'm not qualified. (laughs) But then, but then in there somewhere there was like, well, she gave it to me. So she must think I can do it. Or right. she would, she doesn't want to look like an idiot, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and to your point, like I learned a ton. I learned to rely on myself. I built some confidence. Like all these things that, like even through the whole thing, I was like every time I get on these calls and my voice would be shaking because I didn't know what I was talking about. But in the end, you're like, then you can put that as like something you did or you accomplished or you've been right. through. So I get that deep end feeling. I think um, people can relate to that. Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates, your one-stop shop for soft skills development, speaking, coaching, and workshops. If you'd like to hire Teresa, or for information on our upcoming workshops, visit www.teresafreemanassociates.com for more information. What about your, like when you think about um, high school, did you face any academic or social pressures there? Like were you, did, did academics come pretty easy to you? Is that something you had to work hard at? Um, I didn't work very hard. And I would say I was a solid A, B student. I was by no means, you know, top tier National Honor Society kind of kid because I was really happy to just do it, you know, the bare minimum for right. me was like, oh, oh, I'll get a B and that's fine. And I can still go hang out with my friends and do all this other stuff. And I, the same was true of college. You know, it was the, I'll get just enough done to pull a B in the class. If I'm lucky, I'll get an A and I'll go, you know, out to the bars every night or to these date parties. And, you know, it was, it. I've always been very good at weighing those, those, um, my threshold, I will say, is is not that high. You know, I don't put the pressure on myself, nor have I ever felt the pressure to, you know, have straight A's and sacrifice the social component or or whatever else I wanted to do. So, um, so I don't, there were a couple, like I think calculus, in fact, I know calculus. I took pre-calculus in high school, which was so painful. That's the only like really bad class I remember. But then like a dummy, because I was pretty, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was like, you know, went in as an undeclared major in the liberal arts school and, you know, walked up to my um, advisor for that, you know, summer orientation where you're putting your schedule together. And the guy was like, well, pretty much every major requires calculus. So we're going to have put that on your schedule for first semester. It was a five hour class. And I want to say it was even at 8 a.m., something horrible, like an 8 a.m., five-hour class. And I got a C. And so that, that five-hour C 
followed me. It's like compound interest, you know, for (laughs) four years, I feel like it dragged my GPA down. Yeah. Not that I've ever been asked my GPA in a job interview, but just the whole, you know, notion of, you know, I was always an AB student. So to have a five hour C that then, you know, drug brought my GPA down for four years. I'm, you know, it's almost 30 years later and I'm still mad about it. You're still talking about it. <laughs> I'm still ticked off. And, and I think more than anything mad at myself because I did not, I did not know what I was doing. And I, I right. didn't go into freshman orientation understanding what, you know, I trusted that, well, someone's just going to tell me what to do. And what I need, right. you know, and, and core requirements, our core requirements. And, you know, and had I been a little more savvy and had a little more information going in, I could have said, you know what, calculus is not my gig. Is there another one that will help satisfy this requirement? Or can I push off math to second semester and take some other things? So I have to say, you know, I've got a, one who just finished his yeah. freshman year and I was, you know, coaching him all last summer about understand the requirements, understand what is going to get you, um, you know, where you want to be so that you're not, A, stuck in a class that you hate and is going to drag your GPA down, or B, that doesn't satisfy a graduation requirement. You know, I would rather you um, save your fun classes, you know, for dribs and drabs throughout your four years or have a really great senior year because you've front loaded all the hard stuff, you know, and and trying to talk him through some of, you know, the pain points that I learned the hard way. Um, And some advice he took and some he didn't, you know, but he's, he's doing just great. But I wish I had had more of that. You know, I had a, a father who, like I said, was in the military and, you know, always knew he wanted to be a pilot. So, you know, didn't other right. job stuff just was not, he'd never had to look for a job. He, you know, d- didn't know anything about job searching or, right. you know, that, you know, his, his college degree was, I think, in journalism, just because he knew we needed a college degree in order to be a pilot, you know, right. so there just wasn't much, yeah. uh, you know, strategy behind it. And my mom was a teacher. So, you know, again, a very prescribed path through college and then, you know, uh, finding her first job. So that I feel like I was not well informed going into college and didn't have a whole lot of um, mentorship or advice on how to navigate Mm -hmm. deciding what you want to do while you're there and then how to work the system while you are there. And then the same thing, leaving college into my first job, you know, it was 1992, a recession. So what kids are going to be experiencing now where jobs were hard to come by and people were interviewing on our companies were interviewing on campus, but they would interview because I think politically they had to be on campus in order to keep their priority with the career services center. But they would flat out say, thanks for coming to this interview. We're not hiring. So then it's like a practice, you know, a mock interview, which, you know, has some value in and of itself, but automatically you're just thinking this is going nowhere. Um, But I also didn't, I did not take advantage of the career planning and placement office in the way that I could have and should have while I was an undergrad. It wasn't until I was out in the workforce and had some really cruddy jobs before I was like, I should, I should be doing a better job of this. (laughs) What do I need to know? Yeah. So, 
Um, well, it's funny. I think you and I are similar. It's just sort of dawning on me now. And you tell me if I'm wrong in that. Similarly, I mean, I kind of found my way in college where I started really taking it more seriously and getting better grades and I was more focused, but I certainly wasn't someone who had this clear vision of what I was going to be or do. And I, and I, and I definitely pursued things that I enjoyed and I thought I want to have this experience. And then at some point when I really started working, I, I really got a lot of satisfaction out, out of doing a job well done. And I, really started to progress and and get more responsibility and do well when I found confidence in that. And then I would do well and someone would notice it and say, hey, well, why don't you try this? And so it was this interesting dynamic of, I think my work ethic and how I I wanted to do well and make a difference and, and be part of something, that's gave me a lot of satisfaction. And then all these other opportunities happened because of that. And I feel like that happened to you also. Like, it's not, you know, we maybe weren't very clear on like, how's this going to happen, but ended up in really neat opportunities that had a lot of cool, and you're still in one now, and now I am too, but just like, there's lots of different ways you can get there. Oh, for sure. I think what was lost on me then that in retrospect, you know, hindsight is 2020 is that, um, you know, grades, I I had that threshold, you know, I wasn't, I didn't want to dip below a B, but as long as I had a B or better, I was fine. So I didn't dedicate a lot of effort and time to that. But looking back, what I did do, I joined a ton of stuff. I loved to be on committees and then I loved to be the chair of those committees. (laughs) So it was like I had this inclination toward yeah. leadership and, yeah. you know, doing things. It just wasn't, it was not schoolwork, but it was related, you know, all the extracurricular yeah. stuff. And so when I was the kind of the two years after college graduation, where I was taking just these crappy jobs just to have a paycheck, yeah. which is important, you know, I, I don't regret that I did that, but um I, as I was kind of coming to grips with, I don't want to keep living life like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to enjoy what I'm doing. Um, and, and looking back on, well, what am I good at? And what do I think I can, how can I parlay that into a job? And then it was realizing that all these committees were really events related, mm-hmm. whether it was homecoming or little Sibs weekend or, you know, prom back in high school you know all of those things were were event driven and then it was okay let me see what kind of careers there are because it's not like people talk about events profession as a profession very often I think they do more now but I'm also so close to it it's hard for me to know if I wasn't in the industry would I be hearing about that as much (laughs) right um but you know, and then I uh, I went to college in Ohio and I stayed in Ohio the first year and a half, two years. And it was, okay, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to move home. My parents were in Williamsburg, Virginia. And then I'm going to start interviewing for internships in D.C., the biggest job market, you yeah. know, in the Virginia area. Um, and that's what I did. And then it was through unpaid internships and a whole lot of informational interviewing and networking, which is not comfortable for me. But, you know, again, you, it's painful, but the end goal, you got to kind of go through some pain to, to get the gain. Um, and then ultimately, I had enough 
of that unpaid internship experience to then get me in a position where I could present a good picture for an entry-level events job. That's um, another thing that I think is such a great insight is, and I don't know that it's been talked about a lot on this podcast, which is a lot of people go through several iterations before they find the lane that ultimately now that you've spent almost 20 years similarly for me in hr like when you talk about the crap jobs you know i managed a fitness center for the doj and then i um you know i worked at a staffing agency and then there were all these jobs that i learned valuable lessons in and i i got better and smarter but it doesn't have to be a life sentence and there's a lot of movement before you can find that niche i think and that's okay yeah, and I think it's your individual tolerance level. Like, how much yes. are you willing to put up before you're like, okay, I got to figure this out. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. And, and yeah, I would say it was a year and a half to two years after graduation for me. And it was, um, and, and during that time, you know, I was interviewing quite a bit because there was one job in particular that I was just, it, was, it made me so miserable that I remember thinking, I just want to be a receptionist somewhere where I can just sit and like not answer. be bothered. I'll answer the phone. I'll be the best damn receptionist, but I just don't, I, I just need some out from this job. Yeah. And so I, you know, I was interviewing actually for one, I think through an agency, like attempt department right. type situation. And I remember sitting in front of the guy and the guy being like, you are overqualified and I'm not hiring you for this uh, because you're not going to stay in this job. And what I really need is a receptionist. <laughs> Right. It's like, I promise, I promise I'll stay, you know, just let me, you know, get me out of this other job, you know, so it was through some of these experiences and, and kind of this desperation level that, you know, leads to new opportunities and, and you kind of, you get a really good sense really quickly of what's going to work and what's not because yeah. of those bad jobs, right? you know, for sure. bosses that are, are just not fun to work for and who don't want to see you do well. You know, I, I feel like I now have a pretty good read on on those yeah. types of people. Yeah. Um, you know, and then again, the corporate culture piece. Yeah. Uh, learned very quickly about that and, and just the type of work that you want to be doing and what you find yeah. rewarding and fulfilling. Um, That's another component that I feel like we can do better with our young adults, both in high school, college, and, and really even entering the workforce, which is empowering people to really be self-aware and evaluate your strengths and know what you like to do. And maybe you and I were better at, because like you, you what you resonate, it's so, it resonates with me. I am I, very much that threshold person where if I can't take it anymore, I've got to figure out another way. And I, yeah. I, I'm very motivated to do that when I hit that threshold. And, um, and I think we're fortunate. I think sometimes people want change, but they're afraid and then they can't make the change. Whereas I'm like, well, I know yeah. I don't like this and I can't take this anymore. So I I have to, like, it's almost like a innate thing that I have to change. But if someone had said to me, let's really think about early on, like, what are you really good at? What do you like to do? How do you like to spend your time? I mean, what a great place to start yeah. versus trying to force it another way, which is like, here are the jobs available to you. You fit into them. I think it's, right. it's a very different way of thinking. It is. I also think, though, there's it's it's not just the, I mean, more reflection definitely would have helped me, and more advice from people who had been job searching or working for a long time would have been very helpful to me. But um, 
But also, I wonder how much would I've learned had I not had to yeah. live it yeah. and done it. And that, you know, I I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. But I do feel like there's a you know you hear something and in theory you kind of get it, but until you live it, you don't fully understand. And I think that's what is important for kids to get and even me as a parent you know as I watch my sons get to a point where they're going to be looking you know some of this they're just going to have to figure out yeah they're going to have to take a bad job or a left turn when they should have taken a right you know and yeah. and figure it out and then how to course correct from there yeah um, totally agree it, yeah and I think it's interesting for our generation as parents you know the helicoptering you know where yes. you want to you want to keep your kid from experiencing all the pain and discomfort it's like, but some there's something we said for having to live a little it. pain. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the scars you bear are not so horrible that you're not gonna heal. Right, for sure. Life lessons, like got to go through them. Right. Um, all right. I have a couple more questions. One, I I have a little um, knowledge of you as a leader through the person I've been working with on this project that I've gotten to work with. Um, Comtion and she has been extremely complimentary of you and talked very highly about that, about your ability to lead. And so I'm curious as you have evolved, we've, we've talked about leadership on here a couple of different times with different guests. And I'm curious for you, what are some of the lessons you've learned as a leader that you now believe are like, if I could take under my wing a new leader, you know, what are maybe two or three things that you think have worked well for you um, and that you feel resonate with your team? I think anything people can get is their new leaders and go from that individual contributor to, to your point earlier when you said, you know, I don't, I'm not so much executing anymore, but I'm leading and driving. Tell me right. just how you've matured in that space and what counsel you might have. Um, well, you know, I had the benefit of having some bad bosses early on right. <laughs> you know, at the time it was painful. And now I, as, as one who has been managing for a long time, I get that that was really good that I had those bad experiences. Cause I know what I don't want to be, you know, yeah. the example, I have good examples and I have those bad examples if I don't want to be this. I think for me, I always approach it from how would I like someone to be managing me or walking me through whatever the situation is. I work very hard at trying to keep my mouth shut when <laughs> when people are looking for easy answers, you know, and I I'm, drop a little curse word, but I'm a get shit done person. You know, I, I always say I have my GSD and I'm all about, you know, let's <laughs> get it done, move it forward. And so it is hard for me to sometimes bite my tongue and, and not just say, oh, we'll just go do blah, 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 or, you know, this series of things. And because of that, I think people appreciate that they kind of have to work through some of the next steps or, or issues on their own. So that again, it's it's not just a micromanaging, I'm giving direction and you're taking direction situation, but one where they feel ownership over the action, the decision, and feel good about moving forward. And the kind of people I appreciate most about or as um, employees are those who don't just present problems, but come in with a couple different solutions um, or even just one solution. And then, you know, we can riff off of it, but they, they show me that they've actually put some thought into it before they're showing up. What drives me crazy are, you know, the, the people who just kind of toss their hands up 
or I always joke about interns <laughs> and I will say for any kids listening, if you're an intern, you know, offer some suggestions. They may be way off base, but you're at least showing people that you're putting some thought into it. But I always joke with one of my colleagues that these interns just come in and just blink. <laughs> you know, they're not quite sure <laughs> what right. the agenda is up and you know, it's like, oh, is there anything going on in there? <laughs> um, so I, I like to foster a discussion that is hopefully led by the staff member and, yeah. and not directed by me. And in group situations, it's the same thing. You know, I, I'm on a number of calls these days. You know, I'll specifically say, I'm going to go last. I want to hear from you guys first. Because that's a great tip out there, you know, people are reluctant to disagree with me. And I, in, in situations too, I'll say, Hey guys, I may be way off base. I welcome dissension or, you know, or or tell me why I'm wrong. And specifically, you know, these areas I told you, I've taken over some new areas of responsibility. I don't have 20 years of experience. And so I'm counting on those people to bring their expertise to the table and help advise me on the right decisions to be making. If you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at tfreemanassociates.com. And the other thing I think that's important, and, and we're not always 100% on this, but, you know, we work very hard to try to foster a culture of failure is okay. And, you know, let's fail fast and fix it rather than let stuff drag out. I also, another mantra of mine is no surprises. I don't want to be, mm-hmm. you know, caught by a customer or Todd telling me something that you could have given me a heads up on and we could have worked through. Right some ways to save something, you know, come clean, you know, Hey, this did not work. Right. But here's what's happening to, to course correct. Um, so I think all of those things, it's about, you know, giving people room to speak up, giving them, you know, the safety and there's a safety net there that if you do screw up, if there's not going to be horrible public humiliation tied to it, cause I've been in those environments, you know, right. and it's right. Yeah, and I love what you said about asking the group to for like, I, I, I used to do that early on, like I would give my ideas and my feedback and then it would just be silent because the meeting's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that and, and it's it's such a great habit because you do get a lot of great new ideas and information that way. So then I'm going to tie this because selfishly, I'd like to ask about soft skills and you and I already have this connection around that in terms of the work we're doing together. I I would, and it's going to be a hard question, but if you were to pinpoint one or two soft skills that you think are critical to being successful in, um, in business, what, what would you say those are? You could even have three if you wanted, but if you feel really strongly about certain ones, what, what do you think those are and, and maybe why? Um, so I don't know if this is a, a specific soft skill, but it's more a, a behavior, I guess. Yeah. Is active listening, I think, is important. I find a whole lot of people are so concerned about what they're going to say next that I find they don't hear stuff. This sounds nasty, but I'm like, don't waste my time if you're not going to hear what I have to say. You know, don't come to me seeking 
my advice and counsel if you're not going to listen to what comes out of my mouth. Um, (laughs) Well, active listening is like my jam. Like that's what I get the most. So it's funny you picked that one because that is like, I I could just talk about it all day long. I I think it's so important. Yeah, it's top of mind because I've got somebody right now who's not an active listener. (laughs) And last night I was up, you know, complaining to Chris about, I don't know what to, you know, how to get through this person. (laughs) Am I, am I not speaking English? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that, yeah, that is a a sore spot right now. So active listening is a big one. I had another one and I've, I've lost it. I don't know. I'll have to. No, I think that's, I mean, it covers a lot. I think that active listening, there's so much that it, it plays a part in so many different ways. So there's your own ability when you're a leader to listen to others, but then when you're in meetings and you're in big, large group meetings, or even if you're in a training, like it just applies in so many ways in terms of making sure you turn it on. Like it's a conscious choice. It's not, you can't just nap. A lot of people aren't naturally active listeners. So you have to mindfully be there and say, I'm going to really get outside of my own head and be there with that person and kind of meet them where they are. Right. Um, Another thought is, you know, being the kind of person, and again, this is soft skills, but not, I I, I would challenge you how to to present this to someone (laughs) in a a lesson, but um, (laughs) thinking about, you know, how do I, how do I get to a yes? Or, you know, maybe it's a win. Influence. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think there are people who are more structured and rigid in their thinking. And so kind of the automatic is, well, no, I can't do that because it's deviating from what I normally like to do. And I, I am so much more enthusiastic and invigorated by people who are, okay, that's a different way to think about it, but let's think about this. And, you know, how can we get to a, a yes yeah, on I love that. whatever yeah. the issue is? I love that um, too. And I think that serves you well across life. Well, you know, no matter what, your yeah. personal relationships, professional relationships, it's it's always going to benefit you to come from that kind of place. And the yes thing is just, you know, to deviate too on, um, to not so much soft skills, but just what I would tell young people. I think I am where I am today because I have said yes to a whole lot of things that have been thrown my way. And you mentioned, you know, getting tossed the project that terrified mm-hmm. you, but because you said yes, you learned so much, right. were able to progress. And I think I have very similar situations throughout my career. And a lot of it too is just personal ambition. You know, if I wasn't being presented with an option to say yes, I'd go seek out like, hey, I hear you're working on this cool project. I'd love to help out where I can, or I see an opportunity here. Can I, you know, it's not going to take any budget. So if I've got the time, can I go ahead and yeah. move this forward? You know, some of those kinds of things I think have served me really well and, and allowed me to expand beyond just a, a singularly focused career. I've been able to do a whole lot of different things and I have um, a, a greater skill set as a result of that. Well, and I think it's just fascinating. And then I'll ask you just one last question, but I think it's fascinating that you are someone sort of a self-admitted shyer person and yet your career is in a very sort of extroverted world when you think about associations and events. And even now in the role that you're in, like you are, even though you're not heavy in the event space as you once were, but but you're still out there a lot and you're having to flex those networking skills and flex those relationship skills. And so I think it's a great 
not even lesson, but it's something to keep in mind for people that are, I, I sometimes get a little tripped up with how we put people in these boxes of being introvert and extrovert and what that means you can and can't do. And so I just, I think it's good to to push back on that a little bit. And again, like you, you did very well in event like role. And so that doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert or introvert, right? So it's just right. interesting how that's come about for you when, when you're, what I think a lot of people would think event planning or being out there like that, you have to be super extroverted. Yeah. And there are times when, you know, I, I kind of ride the line, you know, when I take yeah. all the Myers-Briggs and stuff, I'm usually, you know, right on the IE mm-hmm. line. Um, and I, you know, I've read that, you know, introversion is really about more, how do you reboot, yeah. you know, and I have to reboot by myself, you know, married to a huge extrovert, yeah. <laughs> which makes things really interesting. <laughs> so I'm like, give me my space. I need to reboot. <laughs> But, um, he might be one but, of the most extroverted human beings I know, I've ever met. I know. I know. <laughs> and I'm pretty extroverted, but man, he he's so like my youngest, I feel like, is kind of matches him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, but I can turn it on when I need to. And, you know, again, hindsight is twenty twenty. In In the event space, it's very, um, it's required of me to turn yeah. it on in, in a certain part of your job. I'm in a, right. And because I'm in a position of show management or floor manager or whatever I was doing at the time, it was like I had this label and therefore authority and permission to approach people uh-huh. because I'm here with a goal and a duty as opposed to, you know, being tossed into a cocktail party with no uh-huh. goal behind it. Right. You know, so that I think is harder for me than, well, I have this job because I have to check in on this customer. Or I have to make sure that this speaker has what they need before they yeah. go out this main state you know so having kind of tasks behind it and like that anchor like something to hold on to yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense okay so my last question is uh when you um and you've given such great advice already I'm wondering if there's anything different or anything you would add if you were talking to young Kelly and um given your experience to date and what you've uh, seen thus far and where you are now, is there any other counsel you would give her at, at really, you know, either your entry level self in terms of, of jobs or even that kind of middle high school, like what, what's something that you would say to help her feel less agita or stress or, yeah. yeah. Um, I think early on it would be, there is so much benefit to, um, taking internships you know, and if you think you want to live in it or work in an office environment, go seek out similar environments and, you know, start to understand the politics and the personalities and um, how various roles play against one another. You know, just being in that environment is, I think, invaluable. Um, and I did not have that at all. Um, I worked in retail, which was fine. You know, I learned customer service and, right. you know, dealing with difficult people. So I, I walked away with some good things, but it wasn't a career I sought for myself and I did not seek out enough. Um, and it was circumstantial too. My parents lived abroad and I didn't have uh, yeah. the opportunity to do that during college, but it really hurt me, especially in a recession to have nothing but retail experience on my resume. So even if they are unpaid, I'm a big believer in internships and externships. And then another thing that has really benefited me is uh, professional volunteerism. 
And like I said, I was a joiner in high school. I was a joiner in college and I've been a joiner as an adult. (laughs) And um, I really enjoy. And I think again, because I am shy and have to, I need that little push by joining something. Again, I have a purpose and a reason for being there and it makes it that much easier to, to show up and build my network. And I learned so much from my fellow peers, way much more than I have ever learned in the classroom Mm -hmm. or a a professional classroom, even, you know, at conference sessions and stuff that, that peer to peer, uh, exchange is so much more beneficial. And then when you're looking for a job, you have people you can call and say, right. Hey, I'm, I'm looking, keep your ear to the ground. And please think of me if you know, you hear of something. So, you know, get involved in whatever your profession or industry is, I encourage you to get involved that way. Um, and then there's great leadership opportunity there as well, so that you have resume builders that are not just pertaining to your specific job role, but definitely are are industry related. And I know as a hiring manager, that's stuff that sticks out. It's like, here's somebody who is active and seeking out not only leadership roles, but learning opportunities for themselves. Yeah. Like naturally curious people that are trying to, to get out there and experience different thoughtware, different ideas, different, you know, ways of kind of being in a professional space. I think that's great. It was good. really good counsel. Thank you so much for doing this. I so appreciate it. It's so awesome. I feel like it's going to be a great episode and people will get a lot out of it. Awesome. I hope so. Thank you so much, Kelly. I really appreciate your time. I thought it was a great conversation. And again, just so, uh, such great advice, super practical. I think everybody can use it. A very special thanks to Missy, my producer on this episode. As a reminder, if you like this discussion, please subscribe, leave comments, and rate Relatable. We can be found on most streaming platforms. Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates. You can follow us on Twitter and the TFA Facebook page. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable.